Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. You're listening to Feeder in College Hoops. I'm Subi. Alongside me today is Taylor Dammel making his return for the offseason. Kind of nice to have someone alongside me. I know last episode I said it was nice to be alone to clear my thoughts and not have these jackals interrupting me, but it was really good to have Taylor alongside me. No shark today. I'm going to get into that reason. He actually has a good reason this time. Uh, Just make sure to know that we are brought to you by the barn burner podcast network. Go subscribe on whichever device it is that you use your college hooper of the week. This week is Olivier Hanlon, former guard for Boston college stud at bc olivier hanlon was he won rookie of the year in the acc first time for the eagles since troy bell which is very impressive if you know bc basketball you know how much of a legend troy bell truly is he was also drafted by the jazz in the second round hanlon was uh, so very impressive years there at bc for olivier Han- hanlon he is your college hooper of the week We're brought to you by Royal Digital Marketing, a.k.a. RDM. RDM specializes in website development and digital marketing for small businesses and startups. So if you need a website, you got to contact them at Colin at RoyalDigital.co. That's C-O-L-I-N at RoyalDigital.co. As always, make sure to check out our website at theaterandcollegehoops.com and go follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is and make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel and the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. Let's open the curtains. have a awesome episode for you coming up we were able to interview director of recruiting at xavier yes the xavier theme is continuing to roll on here for the second straight episode uh, leveraging great friend of the program david miller's reference but this time on the episode we have ryan anderson like i said the director of recruiting at xavier but he was also a stud in college he spent three years at boston college transferred to Arizona, just a force down low. Honestly, he gets into a lot of his playing style, who really influenced him growing up, some of his recruiting. And actually, uh, we got a surprise call for Ryan. Now, we weren't involved in that call, but we did have to break the interview up just a little bit because he did get a call. But I want to take the time right now to salute the shark. He is, I mean, he's been married. I said this a couple episodes ago, but We are all back from the Sharks' wedding in Maine. Let me tell you, it was one of the best weekends of my life. I don't say that uh, facetiously. I don't say that. uh, I I don't want that to – I don't think the words – let me say this. The words I'm about to say don't really describe it justice because you really, truly had to be there to experience the joy, euphoria, and uh, just happiness, really, the happiness that was flowing through everybody's veins – Of course, the Shark gets married on Sunday, which was Game 7 of the Heat Celtics series. And if you know the Shark, if you know us, we're obviously huge Boston Celtics fans. 
So we had to endure the dance floor without really watching the game at all. We go to the hotel bar for the second half. And despite the Celtics best efforts to completely puke that game away. And thank you, Jimmy Butler for not hitting that three, the Celtics end up winning. So what do any sane 30 plus year olds do after their favorite basketball team clinches a game seven to go to the finals for the first time in 12 years, they jump in the hotel pool with their suits on, make a complete scene. And uh, I think hotel management was really, really, really upset at us, but everyone was there. Uh, The sharks loved ones were there. I think he had a very emotional tweet and you don't get much emotions from the shark. Uh, So that tweet actually really signified it, but yes, that's exactly what we did. Would have been much easier. Would have been nicer if the Celtics took care of business on Friday during game six, but Jimmy Butler had other plans. And of course it put the shark in a position where he had to sweat out his wedding, I guess. Uh, his mother-in-law came up to me during that watch party or towards the end of it, basically saying, Hey, Sub, I need you to make sure he is laser focused on my daughter uh, for Sunday, because that is what's important. And I did everything in my power and to the, to credit the shark, he did focus on his lovely now wife, but what a night Sunday, Sunday was, you really, truly had to be there to experience uh, how how amazing it was. So hug for the shark. Enjoy it. Uh, but that's enough of him. Uh, the nuptials are over. We're we're back into the rat race, which sucks. My brain is soup. So I think I'm done speaking for now. But on the other side of this break, it's going to be Ryan Anderson, director of recruiting for Xavier. The Xavier theme continues to roll on for a second straight episode as we're fired up to welcome the director of recruiting for the Musketeers. It's Ryan Anderson. Ryan, thank you so much again for jumping onto the program. I'm going to bookend this this interview actually with bring him up on stage and we'll get to your your guy, whoever you want to recommend at the end of this program. But what we always like to do is when we have uh, an interview guest hop on, that was referred by someone else. And David Miller certainly did that to say, Hey, you got to get Ryan Anderson on. Uh, what I want to do is share with you what exactly he said. So we can get your thoughts. Give us a second. It's going to be an easy answer, but Ryan Anderson on our staff, our director of recruiting, uh, he's one of the funniest people you'll ever be around. Um, he is by, I think if you got him on the show and I can try to help you, um, I think it would be your most played replayed, uh, episode of all time. He might say some stuff you shouldn't, he might say some stuff that we don't want him to say, but, uh, I'm going to go with Ryan Anderson. So Ryan, that's heavy wow. praise, man. Complimentary. And then some back in compliment action, man. High, uh, definitely high responsibility on my end. The best, interviews a, a lot of views is it's a it's a tough tough task for me on that one coach but uh i'll definitely i'll definitely have to give him some smack for that that's pretty funny so is it just me or does david sound more like sean miller every single time he talks not only not only sound but mannerisms the things they like the things they do um the name is already you know similar it's just once once david's been around sean for so many years now he's like uh He's just like another version of him, which is which is cool. I mean, you know, the fact that he's been able to be with Sean for so long, it really shows, you know, how much both, you know, he respects Sean and then also how much Sean respects him and, and enjoys working with him. So it's kind of twofold, but it's, it is crazy how, how, how similar they are. Well, let me tell you something, Ryan. No pressure because we are pretty much a grassroots type of small podcast. So when he says these might be the most views or listens that you get, the bar is probably pretty low as it is, man. Okay. Yeah. Appreciate that. I, you know, on the court, I'm a pretty confident guy all the time, but maybe, maybe to get the views up, I might need a little confidence boost. So I appreciate it. So of course you're on the coaching staff now at Xavier, but we do, you know, want to talk a little bit more about in for you personally, Ryan, because we last I spoke with David, he made it sound like all of you guys were pretty much in one, like you were, you were at Ryan Reynolds place. Like, has it been still sort of fleshing out where here. you're living, getting your bearings? Still here. 
Uh, we're all still here. I mean, uh, it's been awesome. I mean, in the basketball side of things, it's been amazing. Just uh, I've always watched the Big East Conference on TV and stuff like that. So just I'm just so fired up to be able to compete at this level. Um, I competed in the ACC at Boston College, and I got the chance at the Pac-12 as well. But the Big East is just a special conference to me. Um, so I'm super fired up to, you know, visit these arenas in this in this conference um, to do all of that stuff. But like you said, at first, we got to get situated here in Cincinnati. And uh, I had an apartment that was supposed to be ready on the first. Today's the first. I'm still at Reynolds Place. Uh, we now have added um, Cam Miller, Sean's son, to the mix here at Reynolds Place. So now we have... Um, four people living in a three bedroom which if you do the math it's tough so we uh we're just making it work man we're just trying to figure it out we got a lot of moving parts but uh looking forward to hopefully here in a week or two really settling in to my place getting you know kind of off the court situated and then uh you know obviously continuing to progress with the basketball stuff too people think coaching at high major d1 level is glamorous right but they don't know that it's literally just a repeat of college all over again here throwing everybody yeah. into a house and hoping it all works yeah yeah i mean it's just you know the, the the priority is obviously the student athletes and just making sure they feel comfortable with the new staff um you know us getting familiarized with them whether it's just spending time with them on and off the court or you know just doing a lot of things in the office to get things where they're where they're lined up for the season to start so um that's obviously priority. And then we try to piece in all of our personal stuff in between there. But uh, when the timing of stuff like my apartment um, not being ready on the day that it was supposed to be kind of throws a wrench in things for us because, you know, we're already kind of tight on a lot of time. But, you know, I got no complaints. I'm so happy to be here. Um, I've obviously learned so much from coach as a player. I'm looking forward to working with him as a, as a coach on the other side of the game. And, you know, I have David, who I'm very familiar with, Reynolds, who I'm very familiar with already. And I've already built a great relationship with some of the other guys on the staff. So it's really awesome. I'm really uh, I'm really thankful to be here. So let's take it back to the beginning. All right. You're from Lakewood, California, correct? Yep. Yep. Funny story about that. Um, I'm I'm from my mom's address is on is in Lakewood. I across the street is Long Beach. I grew up in Long Beach. You know, I went to Long Beach probably high school. It's all my stuff in my life was from Long Beach. And when I was uh, in Arizona, they uh, first little red blue scrimmage, they announced all of the all the guys. And I'm running out and I hear, you know, Ryan Anderson over to from Lakewood, California. And I kind of looked up and I was like, oh, man, I got to fix this. So I'm spent the next outside of practice in school that year. I spent the next like two weeks trying to ask everybody in McHale Center who I can talk to to switch it from Lakewood, California to Long Beach, California. And everybody said, oh, I don't know who does that. I don't know who does that. So fast forward to the first game of the year. I'm in the starting lineup. They go to call me out and they go, Ryan Anderson, number 12, from Long Beach, California. And somehow the message had got relayed in McHale Center, and I was so fired up. I let out the biggest yell that I let out all season long. And it wasn't because it was the first game. It's just because uh, – I rep Long Beach and Long Beach had raised me and everything like that. So I, that's just a funny story about the city. But yeah, my mom and I grew up in Lakewood. That's where the house technically was, but my whole life was in and all my friends and everybody, all my memories is in Long Beach. Now look, you and David are so perceptive because the question I had lined up and it wasn't about Lakewood, but I was going to say, how often do you find yourself correcting people when they're like, oh, so you're from L.A. And you're like, uh, hang tight. I'm from I'm from Long Beach, damn it. Yeah, yeah. When I'm from when I was overseas, um, I used to say L.A. just because, you know, if you're in uh, Ukraine and you say Long Beach, it's not likely that they know it. But if you say, you know, Los Angeles, it's they know they know where that is. But um, I'm quick to tell anybody around here that I'm very proud to be from Long Beach. Um, I would love, I love to talk about Long Beach. I, I embody a lot of things that I think a lot of people from Long Beach embody. And yeah, I love, I love this city. I, I, I wish I could be there more than I am, but the game has blessed me to take me all over the world. So home is home. And you know, I see it when I, whenever I go back to the city. Married to the game. No, I get it. Yeah. So, so tell us oh. about, uh, tell us about going to Long Beach, Polly. I mean, obviously, uh, powerhouse athletics uh, um you know amongst other things to be able to interact with any other alumni that we might recognize 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, we had a, we have a long list of uh, famous alumni um, from our sports, you know, with football being huge in terms of like the number. I, when I was there, it was the number one public high school for NFL players in, in the league. I don't know if we still hold that. I'd have to double check on that. But uh, we definitely have a lot of famous people in, in one game in particular. I was actually telling Coach Miller about it yesterday was, uh, you know, my my senior year, we become a really good team. And uh, we are always like standing room only in the gym. You know, it's not a bigger gym, but it's packed for our games and everything like that. And one game we 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 had a whole section like on the left side of the like by the door. And no, nobody was sitting in those seats. And we're like, like, why is nobody? Why are they not letting anybody into the game? They're selling it sold out. But this whole section is empty. And then like eight minutes before tip, all of a sudden, just a huge group of guys walk in and it's Snoop Dogg. And Snoop comes in and just standing in front row and all of this posse just comes in, takes up the whole section. And we're just like, there's no way. Like Snoop is like the idol of, you know, Long Beach Poly alumni. And there's no way he he took the time to come to our game. And uh, it was just awesome. Like that was like, that was a childhood memory I'll never forget. It's like, man, like Snoop came to watch us play in Long Beach at the at, at our place. It was It was pretty sick. When you saw Snoop come in, were you, this is how I liken it. You know, you see some guys try and show out extra when their girlfriends come to the game or something. Were you like, I got to put a little something on this? All year, right then. Like I got the ball the next time I threw it off the glass and I just like, in high school, you couldn't, uh, you couldn't like technically dunk, dunk in the warmups. So I like threw it off the glass and like, like put it all the way over my head. And then just did like the cute little drop into the basket. And it was, you know, I looked over and I don't even think he saw it. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, I just remember that moment. I was like, man, that was like my, like, feel like we made it in high school, you know, from, for kids from Long Beach to have Snoop come to the game. It was pretty sick. So what was it like to be, I guess, recruited out of Long Beach? You know, obviously there's probably people of big names at not only all of your games, but every football game that you would go to every single, uh, you know, facet of it you know what was yeah. the recruiting process like out of high school and what were some of the other teams you were considering at the time yeah so um it was a big fight kind of tussle back and forth with my mom and I about she didn't really feel it was safe and like environment for me to go to poly and uh she wanted me to go to Lakewood high school and I just remember even though I was young I was like 14 I just felt that the best place for me athletically was to be surrounded by other athletes that are really really talented and i thought that that would help me like push me every day to be a better a better athlete and that's exactly what it did i mean my time at poly um we ended up grad uh scholarships was like through the roof it was like 27 scholarships my my graduating class and it was all across from football to basketball baseball volleyball like we had a huge ceremony because it was like at the time it was the most um division one scholarships in a class that they might've ever had or something like that. And um, the feeling that you weren't the only really good athlete and you had to kind of like create your own lane and your own, you know, kind of brand and identity, I thought was something that really helped me because I just needed to be pushed every day. And I think that that's what kind of pushed me more than the college coaches coming or anything like that was just, I wanted to be the best of the best. And that's who I was around was already really, really good athletes. So you see somebody come out in the paper or something and you want to, you want to have an article in the paper. So, but um, in terms of the college aspect, uh, I just remember there's a lot of schools. Yeah. It's like we practiced at seven in the morning. Coach Matoyer was, was adamant about that. And there'd be coaches in there at seven watching us play. Um, I really came down for me coming out of high school. It was between San Diego state, uh, Boston college, obviously Georgetown, Cal Berkeley, uh, those were kind of the main four I was looking at. I was really into academics. So if you could tell like the other three, Cal Berkeley, Georgetown and Boston college, really, really high academics. And then obviously San Diego state was not quite on that academic level, but it was just an awesome basketball school. And uh, that kind of was my final four. And obviously I ended up picking Boston college, but it was a, it was a lot of fun through the whole process of recruiting and obviously, like the day that we all signed and everything that I mentioned, it was a big celebration at the school. That 2014-2015 Circa area uh, SDSU team, if you had joined that, that would have been a menacing, menacing roster. Because yeah. out of the teams that you mentioned, I think those that was the best team, uh, just strictly from a basketball perspective. 
about how talented those Cal Berkeley teams were too, though, because I remember thinking like, man, because I'm good friends with Justin Cobbs, who was the point guard. They would have had uh, Alan Crabb at the two, who played in the NBA. They would have had um, who else would they have had? They would have Richard Solomon at the five, who was a monster in the Pac-12. Uh, and then they came through with a bunch of other guards like Tyrone Wallace, um, obviously later in the years, but they ended up having Jalen Brown and stuff. But there was a window of time where they had a Cal had a really, really talented team. And, uh, you know, things obviously went differently, but and I ended up coming to the Pac-12 through Arizona. But um, Cal was Cal was honestly my dream school coming out of high school. I had family up there, academics closer to home. It crossed a lot of boxes for me, but. You know, being a young kid, I ended up picking somewhere else. Hey, Taylor, real quick. How, how many did Alan Crabb drop in McKinney? I was just uh, – Alan Crabb just cooked uh, Arizona he had 40 every something, time he came he? to McHale. Yeah. Yeah. Monster. He was a monster. So I would have been kind of in that mix. And the, in my opinion, they didn't really ever have a, a really elite power forward like that. So I could have kind of filled that role. That would have been that would have been pretty sick for sure if life would have went a different way. We were just talking about how it's funny that like Jalen Brown, for example, since you brought him up, played essentially like the four for Cal in college. And he mm-hmm. hasn't played a minute at the four in the NBA, you know. So, yeah, it's amazing how, you know, someone like you not necessarily would, wouldn't necessarily be played with him, but how it could have changed things it, it, there recruiting wise. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. A lot of things changed over the years. So what's so interesting to me and I've, I'm from the Boston area, so I grew up with a lot of people who love BC basketball. And what I always found interesting, there was this window. It seemed like there was a serious pipeline between Southern California all the way to Chestnut Hill. And a lot of people will scratch their head about that. Two really big name players that I can remember from that 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 starred at BC. Jared Dudley, he's from San Diego. I think Craig Smith's from Inglewood. Did that play a role at all? Did those guys say, you know, succeeding at BC? influence you in any way like what was that process like yeah i mean that was huge for me i mean obviously i didn't play for coach skinner um i was donahue's first recruiting class but um my thing was always like i wanted to go to a great academic school right i wanted to everybody had always told me to you know use the game to try to put yourself up for life and boston college obviously was an awesome awesome institution for academics so they had that. And then once I kind of saw the pathway basketball wise in terms of like guys from California that already did it, then I had two of my AAU teammates coming with me, plus the point guard that I had played against at, at Awanda coming with me. And we were all kind of four guys from California all com- coming at one time with a track record of a few guys that have done it already. Um, that's what kind of gave me the selling point that I could do it. And I knew that, you know, the way the team was situated that I'd be able to come in as a freshman and start, which meant a lot to me. Uh, I wanted, I I wanted to come have a chance to play. I didn't want to like red shirt or do something like that. So um, all of that kind of stuff factored into it. And then we actually, my sophomore year, I remember uh, Jared came to uh, play pickup with us in Boston. And I just had to tell him, I was like, man, I just want you to know, like, if you watch the games, like, whatever you think of me, I, I hope it's, you know, you like my game, but I just want you to know, like, you're a huge reason why I'm here. And, uh, you know, I, that I, I was trying to do what he did. And uh, it was a cool talk. He gave me his number, you know, said stay in touch. And it was just cool to see, like, a guy that got kind of kind of lend out a hand to a younger guy trying to do the same as him. Sean so, Marshall, too, was a huge one for me. So, obviously, the academics, California connection, but what was it about uh, Steve that kind of put that maybe the basketball side of things also over the hump to bring you across the country? Yeah, I mean, uh, at the time, uh, Coach had just came off the Sweet 16 run with Pan B, uh in the tournament. So, I knew – and he had won a lot in his, in the Ivy League, and I knew he had, a, he had a track record of winning. Obviously, as a competitive guy, winning was huge for me. Um, but the thing that sold me the most was just how fluid their offensive plan was in terms of I wouldn't be stuck on the block or be stuck doing X, Y, and Z. Like my ability to do a lot of different things um, in the flow of their offense was something that I really liked. And um, that was that was, that was was a huge thing for me. And, uh, you know, as a youngster, you're not really too worried about the de- defensive stuff. So I don't really remember much of anything in the recruiting visit about the defense. But uh, I do remember him explaining a lot about my role offensively, how I would be used, and uh, 
it was it was all stuff that I really liked. I'll tell you what. Go ahead, Taylor. As a guy who now coaches under Sean Miller, I think you've probably come around on the defensive side of the ball a little bit, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Now now I know I've definitely day one, uh, I realized I, I need to I need to put a little emphasis on this side of the ball. I don't think you have a choice, man. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have a choice do, there. Do what we do. That's what coach would say. That's right. So coming from California t- and going all the way to Boston, outside of Conti Forum, was there a culture shock for you? I'm talking weather, food, people. Was there was there an adjustment period for you? Oh yeah, I had I was so out of my element it was ridiculous. I mean, I could go on for different stories after different stories, but uh I mean, one, for example, you know, everybody's telling me about winter, everything like that. I come out there, I've got my bands, you know, on my feet. I've got some lightweight jackets. I'm like, oh, yeah, winter, winter this, winter that, you know what I mean? And uh, I'll never forget it. I lived on campus, but I lived, uh, it was probably about 15, solid 15, 20 minutes from Conti my freshman year. And uh, Halloween comes rolling around. I haven't gone to the store. I haven't prioritized getting my winter gear. Boom snowstorm on like halloween on the 30th i'm walking in the snow i got these vans on my feet are soaked i got this light i got two lightweight jackets on not doing anything and i'm just like yeah i look really california right now like i i i I really blew it so uh the weather was a culture shock for me um but i got used to it we had a huge blizzard blizzard nemo i think it was called or something like that where we had to shut down the school um and then just you know the different styles like i had never seen somebody wear like salmon shorts and sperry's like shoes like i'm like what the heck are these like i've never seen like no socks with sperry's so um but i learned a lot and i think i was open to everything and i really loved downtown boston got a chance to go to a red Sox yankees game with one of my best friends from high school who's a yankees fan and um i got to go to a celtics game i got to go to a patriots game um, I got a lot of really good memories um, from Boston, so uh, it was culture shock, but I enjoyed myself. I I would have I would have stayed probably my whole time if uh, if I didn't get injured and and if coach didn't get fired. So, what about playing styles between West Coast and East Coast? Did, when you first got into that practice, did you notice any difference there? Obviously, you play AAU ball, all that type of stuff, and you get to you know see a bunch of different styles. But was there anything apparent right there day one? You talked about defense a little bit. What anything else day one that you noticed was different? I just felt like the speed, the speed of the game was uh, a little bit fast for me. I remember thinking like um, as a freshman, even we went to play a tournament and. Uh, I forget what it was called, but it was in the Anaheim tournament in November. And we were playing other teams uh, that weren't like all West Coast teams. But I just felt like I was so sped up in the game. Like I went from like everything being so easy in college to like getting charges and doing stuff that I don't normally do trying to force it in college. And I just remember the game speed was a huge thing because I was never like the quickest or more athletic guy, most athletic guy. So I really relied on skill and IQ. And um, I just remember thinking the game was was fast and I needed to slow the heck down and like think on the court. So that's really what I remember, like coming into the first couple of days and just the, just the overall need needing to get stronger. Like that was, that was probably the second thing. So we've interviewed a decent amount of former players at the collegiate level. And what's always interesting and fascinating to me is they'll just organically drop in some names of guys that are older than them that sort of inspired them to play a certain style or just made them fall in love with the game of basketball. Who were some of your childhood guys that you looked up to specifically in the college game? Was there anyone in college when you were watching NCAA hoops being like, I want to be that guy, or he's the most fun player to watch anyone that you can name. I have a name that I don't think anybody would ever, ever remember name, but I remember thinking this guy was if there was Michael Jordan, then there's this guy. West Virginia, I'll, I'll give you guys a hint, see if you guys can think of it. Played, obviously, probably, forget the years, but it's early 2000s, maybe like 2008 to 12 or something like that, around that age. White guy who's about a 6'8 power forward, played at Kevin West Pitsnoggle? Virginia. Kevin Pitsnoggle was my dog. I used to think he was just like unguardable, like, like, 
give him the rock and it's and it's barbecue chicken. He is just cooking everyone. That's what I I used to love Kevin Pitsnoggle, man. I used to think I remember him hitting a three at the top of the key and just being like, this dude is the goat. Like he's he's unreal. So that's actually somebody probably most people wouldn't remember. But Kevin Pitsnoggle, I don't know what he what he ended up doing with his career, but uh West Virginia, he had a fan in, in, in Long Beach for sure. That's incredible, Ryan. First of all, there's no name too deep for us. I mean, we have a poisoned mind of just remembering useless college. I shouldn't say useless, but uh, now irrelevant, like college I'm basketball names. So so Kevin Pitsnoggle, though, was a cult hero, man. He was He's a legend in our circles for sure. I, but I would not have expected that to be like an inspiration for you. Yep. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was, I mean, the fact that like, I can even remember from back then, like it just shows how much he, uh, he had an impact on me because I, but again, I didn't even, uh, watch too much college, but for whatever reason, I know Kevin Pitsnogle and I used to watch him for sure. So when you ended up being, 10 times more athletic than Kevin Pitsnoggle was. Did, did you have anything left in your game that was like his? Uh, I mean, he could shoot it. He could shoot it better than I could shoot it. So he, he had that over me. And uh, I guess you can say a little bit more winning culture since we struggled at BC to pull out wins. And, uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I didn't at that time really um, watch the game in terms of like trying to learn anything from people. I was kind of just, fanboy um as i got older i more so watched like some nba guys in terms of uh actually trying to like get get specific moves and stuff from them like that so who were some of those guys then in the nba i know it sort of pigeonholed you to give me a college name who were some of the nba guys as you got older yeah i mean i i if you guys you know watched me play i loved like mid post stuff so like i was never like a huge low post guy i never was like a huge three-point guy but like Tim Duncan, uh, Carmelo Anthony, and Paul Pierce um, would be three guys, I think, in terms of their mid-post game that I tried to, like, really emulate. Um, Just in terms of, you know, their ability to create separation without the dribble was something that I was – I remember um, when I was younger, I was really trying to learn how to do. Um, And just – I was starting – I remember watching, like, different workouts of Melo on YouTube and stuff and how – how much he jabs with the ball or whether he adds the dribble or whatever and how much he emphasizes like the power of his back leg on his jumper. Like he jabs to not have his weight on his front foot. It's still powering up from the back foot. So he's a little bit more on balance, Um, stuff like that. So I really tried to master the mid range in terms of floaters, um, jab jumpers, um, turn to pose, stuff like that, you know, stuff, shots like that. And I, I thought I, I, I didn't get as good as those guys at it, but I got pretty good at just scoring in the in the what what people now say is bad analytics. But if you look at all the best scores ever, they all play in the mid range. So, hey man, if if you're constantly comparing yourself to three of the top seventy five NBA players of all time, it's it's yeah. tough to to reach that. No, so, no, no, no shame in my game. I, I I tried my best to emulate them, but um, you know. Duncan has a few inches and a few championships on me and Paul Pierce and Mello were, were same body types, but um, they took the game a little further, but yeah, those are guys that I really liked watching. And obviously as a kid, I, I was a huge Kobe guy. So um, I, I just watched him as in pure idolatry of his game, not so much taking too much from it, but those other guys, I definitely tried to take some stuff from. You know, I'll give you credit as a Southern California basketball player. It took you a while to bring up Kobe as we've asked you about a number of players. So I'm going to give you a lot of credit for that. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, obviously, Kobe is was all over my walls and everything like that. I was the typical kid with all of that stuff. But, um, yeah, in terms of actually watching guys play, I tried to find people that were a little bit, like, uh, more my body type, more my size, Um and people in high school used to even call me Timmy because, like, I was, like, no beard and short, short hair and just a simple fundamental game. So they used to actually call me Timmy. So it's like I, I got to watch this guy and try to try to steal his moves. Oh, it makes complete sense. Hey, was there ever an opponent in your college days where you were like, I got to get 
some good sleep in. I got to get not just eight hours, but nine plus hours. I need to get to bed early, mentally prep. Was there ever an opponent where you were like, this guy's going to be an absolute test for me tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah. I got all the sleep I could the night before this one, but didn't help me. Um, The first name that comes to mind when I knew it was going to be a tough game and it was tougher than I thought was my first ACC game as a freshman. Had to go on the road at North Carolina. The front court at the time was Harrison Barnes at the three, John Henson at the four, and Zeller at the five. Young Ryan's, you know, thinking I'm going to come in here, you know, and I'm going to beat North Carolina with this front court. I'm going to I'm going to be the freshman that does this, you know. I uh, I can break down the whole beginning of the game from my perspective. Do it, man. Does. Please do it. I get a I get the ball right right block against Henson. I bump him. I go as hard and high as I can on a jump hook I've ever shot in my life. I score a jump hook over him. I can't believe it goes in. Boom, two points. A couple plays later, right wing in front of their bench, I get the ball. I make a three. I'm feeling amazing. I'm like, this is what I thought it was going to be. You know what I mean? Later, uh, in the few plays later after that, it's not even, I don't think, the first media timeout yet. Maybe it is. Maybe right, still right at the beginning of the game. Um, my guard, Matt Humphreys, takes the ball from in front of their bench, drives it middle. I back cut Henson, and I, like, jump again as high as I can possibly jump at that time off one leg. Zeller comes over on the back door cut and I like one leg and I two hand dunk like somewhat on Zeller and kind of like hang on the rim and everything. And at that point I have seven points and I'm like, like I'm going for 40. Like I, I'm, I, this is my night later on in the game, you know, as the game progresses, things start going South for us. I can't really remember much of anything. It becomes a real blur, but, um, I do remember getting bumped. I'm guarding. I was playing the three or the four at the time. I'm guarding Harrison Barnes, and he bumps me, and he like drives me baseline and like bumps me. He's going left. Think of it this way: he's going left I'm towards the baseline. He bumps me and does like a spin move back towards the middle. But he's so much stronger than me that when he bumps me, I kind of like lose my balance and spin the other way. So as I'm turning around, he's into his like. NBA load and he by the time I turn around he's just already in the air two hand just tomahawk dunks me like puts me in the rim top three worst I've ever been dunked on in all my years of playing and at that moment fellas I was like yeah all that 40 point win on the road at North Carolina is out I proceed to like still play super hard at that time I know nothing about hydration I end up getting a calf cramp late in the second half I mean, it just goes downhill to the point where it's just like I'm I was way over way out of my uh, element. So uh, I just remember starting out hot and then Harrison Barnes really humbled me and we ended up losing, I think, by like 30. So that's the first one because I got good sleep. Hydration was was lacking and overall just ability at the moment. At the moment, there was no more sleep that could really help me, you know. So I remember Harrison Barnes in that front court for sure. Um, everybody else, uh, I didn't really, as I got older, I didn't really feel too overmatched by any any one player. I knew that, you know, I remember North Carolina State, they had C.J. Leslie. I always knew that he was going to be aggressive. Um, the Plumleys, when they had at Duke, they had like, at one point they had both the Plumleys, Mason and Miles, I think that their names were at the time. They had three, but the first two. I forget. Yeah, I think Marshall was the last one. Yeah. Yeah, so they had Mason and Miles. And I always knew that they were going to be a brutal to deal with. But uh, other than those, like, really big-time spots, I mean, I was always a little bit delusionally confident and thought they had to, you know, worry about me. So that was kind of always always thought. So, I mean – you know, that North Carolina team you mentioned, they were preseason number one that year. And you played a lot yeah. of number one teams uh, throughout or top five teams for sure throughout your college time. Do you ever look back now, especially that you're a coach and look back and be like, man, I played against a shit ton of talent, myself included, of course. But I played against a shit ton of talent in college and just kind of how surreal that is, how much how many real big NBA players you played against. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I watch, you know, NBA all the time, obviously, and it's just like this is still like the era of a lot of guys that I played against. And it really is shocking, and it really, like, it gives me chills, honestly, like, thinking, like, wow, I had so many amazing moments. Like, like not even individual moments, just the ability to, like, go play in these different arenas. I mean, if you think about my ability to play in the ACC, then I played in Pac-12, and then the just the true road games that you play in the mix between those. I mean, I played in some of the best arenas in college basketball against some of the best players, you know, in college basketball. So um it's really really awesome um my favorite college moment ever would be when we beat Syracuse when they were number one on the road at Boston College uh for a lot of reasons but um that was a surreal moment beating them but we almost had Duke when they were number one at, at our place too um I think that was my sophomore year that was a moment that was a game that I really really um remember but yeah it's just so many memories man it's 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 really, honestly, I tell these guys now that we're starting up with with our stuff here, it's just like really cherish college because there's nothing like it. Like this is the time when everyone here, all the staff, all the managers, you know, everyone in the arena, the staff, the faculty, you know, the janitors, everyone here is just here to serve the players and help the players and want the best for the players. And once you go pro, it's not like that anymore. You know, it's it's a business. If you're not good enough, they cut you. If they're not, if they don't like you, they trade you and it's just more of a business and, and college is, that's why I want to coach in college because as much as it is a business as well, it's such a beautiful, um, it's still the purity of the game. You have the crazy fans, you have the college atmospheres. I mean, it's awesome. So I really am blessed that I got to experience all of it for sure. That's some pretty awesome insight, and that's exactly why we love having former players turn coaches on to give us that insight because, you know, we know the surface level stuff. You're in the nitty gritty, and so part of your ascension is obviously the decisions you've had to make. You go back to your high school days, what college am I going to go to? And then when you decided to transfer, you say, what college am I going to transfer to? I'm curious to know the decision-making process for you, Ryan, when you said, basketball is done for me as a player. I want to go into coaching. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, um, I always knew I wanted to coach when I went to Arizona, my degree ended up being in human and social behavioral studies. I'm obviously focusing on how everybody interacts together, knowing that I would want to be a coach. And I also got a minor in sports management just to try to, you know, obviously go towards that, that route as well. Um, So I always knew that it would be my route. I didn't know. I thought I would, hopefully play in the NBA or play high level Europe for, you know, however many years. But uh, basically I had a, I had a really, really, I had a really, really rough ride with, with injuries in my, in my five years. I mean, my rookie year, I had a partial tail in my partial tear in my patella in my left knee. Then my second year I go plantar fasciitis in one foot, tear a ligament in the other ankle. Then I followed it up with tearing a ligament in my right labrum in my hip. Then I rehab all those. And then my fifth year, I uh, I blew out my knee completely with my ACL, MCL, and meniscus all in one time. And uh, when that happened, I kind of really kind of stepped away from the game because I had so much time and really kind of analyzed what's really, what's really important for me. And I kind of na- narrowed it down on a more personal level to just my health, both mental and physical, and stability just with my wherever my life was at and, and kind of peace what brought me the most peace and I just felt like I love the game so much I can still play the game I had another year of my contract on my Lithuania team they were expecting me to come back the next year even after my injury but um I just felt like I needed to prioritize my mental and physical health get st- stability in my life and uh, just be at peace with, you know, everything that I was going through. And I just felt like putting my body at risk, traveling Europe and everything like that wasn't the best route. And, you know, Coach Miller had given me a call or wished me a good recovery. And uh, he had kind of tossed the idea out of me possibly being a GA. And I kind of was thinking about it. And then when Coach Lloyd got the got the job, he actually called me, which I, w- I was really thankful about and offered me the position if I wanted it. And um, it kind of kind of snowballed from there that I was just kind of in the mix already as a possible name. And it, it it really was I felt like it was a sign from God that I that it was my time. I can go back to my old my old university. We were going to have a great season. 
Um, and, you know, obviously the rest is history. Now I'm here on year two doing my thing. But that's a little bit in my, inside to my story about just, you know, I love the game. I, I still would play every day if I could. But uh, just long term for the longevity of my life, I just felt like that opportunity to try to switch right at that moment was too much to pass on. David really must have given you some good notes because you're literally answering all of our questions before we get into it. So props for you guys for the preparation here. These are my boys. And uh, if you can do this interview, I said, all right, cool. No worries. <laughs> so what's the what's the day to day look like in your current role at Xavier, director of recruiting? Well, tell us about, you know, kind of how that goes from a day to day standpoint. Yeah, I mean, obviously, as you can imagine, you know, um, we're behind the eight ball in a lot of recruiting stuff in terms of just building relationships with these kids that have, you know, obviously been recruited, some of them for a year, maybe two years earlier than us. And, you know, we're just trying to get in the mix. Obviously, we have a huge advantage with uh, Sean being such a powerful um, name in the in the game. Obviously, his tradition with pros and winning helps us a lot. But my day to day is basically just trying to help out with a lot of different things. I, I, I'm currently trying to, the, the coaches are kind of, the assistants are kind of working on a lot of our 2023 stuff. And I'm trying to take, try, basically uh, taking the lead on building all of our 2024 stuff right now, just in terms of, you know, trying to feel, figure out the area, figure out what's out here and, um, you know, kind of taking that next step so that we can, we cannot be late on the next class. Um, and they're just trying to, you know, work their way the best that they can we've targeted a few of the main guys in 2023 that we really like and we're hoping we can get a couple of those guys even though we came in late but uh right now i'm kind of focusing a lot on the 2024 class and then obviously like i said before just just trying to familiarize with the players i mean you know being a guy that's played for sean i feel like i have a unique role on the staff of, of ability to kind of tell them what they can expect with the bad the ugly um and how it all is going to come into us having a really good successful season so um, that's kind of my role. I'm just trying to take advantage of the opportunity to kind of speak with these guys when things are a little bit slower. And then, uh, yeah, just leading that kind of that next wave of, of talent for us. And, uh, you know, hopefully giving some new younger ideas and fresh ideas for coach in terms of, you know, offensive and defensive stuff. If he wants to try it or not, you know, he's, he's the, he's the old, he's the, the the hammer on all decisions but just trying to offer some some unique perspective on certain things as well so i i also you know i implemented music into practice I, that's my that was my that was my first thing that i think uh what are you guys really playing helped. uh it's a huge playlist man it's it's like 200 songs shuffles it we take no song requests that let siri decide the vibe so um, I'm, we're just, we're, I implemented that. I think that'll be a good energy boost. You know, as you get going and practice every single day, sometimes you need, you know, throwback job ja rule song or something to pop on and get the, get the, get the energy going. You know, these you young know kids what, know, these no, young kids know about job ja rule here, Not this year. I know, I know it's on the playlist, a lot of different stuff. So from, from new age to old to country to, you know, john legend it's all it's all piled in there it's 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 whatever series siri wants for us on that day so yeah i threw that that's one of my i don't know director of recruiting and music playlist put that on my put on put that in the bio i guess but yeah, yeah. now bring a younger a little bit more new energy flavor uh moving into the season yeah so. put that in your email signature man so you had mentioned what I, what I picked up on, it was really interesting. You said you wanted to offer a unique perspective. And I think that's critical, obviously, from what you notice as a player on the court to now your year two uh, on the bench. I'm curious to know, are there, are there any players, maybe with this particular Xavier group, last year's Arizona group, or anyone outside of those two teams, right, that you've scouted against or that you've your, your coaching staff has had to prep for? Any players that sort of remind you of yourself when you're looking at them from the bench? uh yeah there's a that's a good question i mean um the things i prided myself on was my just you know i was never the most athletic guy but i just played hard you know so um as we get going with the with the workouts with our team i didn't get a chance to watch too much xavier last year once i started with arizona we was just so consumed with the pac-12 and just learning i had been away so i was just trying to really you know try to master those teams as much as i could in terms of scouting stuff um but 
in terms of guys that I just kind of relate to, or I'm like, yeah, that's a guy that I like. It's just guys that really play hard. Like they, like they may not, you know, be the flashiest player or whatever, but they just play hard. You can tell they love the game. Um, and they just kind of take it from there. A lot of our guys last year are like that. You know, I, 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 I find myself, you know, loving like Dalen Terry, for example, he might not have been like my body type, but just his energy, you could tell how much he loved to be at the practices at workouts, how much he loves the game. I'm looking forward to see where he gets picked this year in the draft as he stays in. And, uh, he's a guy, you know, from our team last year that I really, I felt like I connected with well. We are, we're welcoming you back here after that little interlude. As a matter of fact, Ryan, you just had to take a call, did you not? Yeah, Coach Miller. Uh, we're trying to trying to get everything rolling. Like I said, right now when we're uh, we got all these moving pieces and moving parts, we're trying to we're trying to work work kind of around the clock and figuring out how the best way to get everything rolling. So we just were trying to talk about a few things for tomorrow with the team and uh, you know different ideas and ways that we can try to help them get better. So it's good stuff. Let me let me be a leech real quick before Taylor jumps in. When you guys when your Big East championship, when you when you make a deep run in the NCAA tournament, all right? Theater and college hoops wouldn't mind maybe like a shred of the nets that you cut down because we are now a part of I mean, I feel like we talked to Coach Miller and it does he need us to do anything? Yeah, just remember the uh June first, uh nine thirty-nine PM phone calls that uh led to hopefully a lot of good good memories and good wins for us this year, you know? Perfect. Well, since we're speaking about Sean, can you give us a, any differences between your former coach that you work for, Tommy Lloyd, and now the current coach that you work for, Sean Miller? Um, you know, the thing that I would say that is amazing about both of them is they have an amazing ability to focus on just the smallest details of basketball and what it is. Um, their ability to focus day in and day out on the little things is honestly like at genius level. Um, I always said coach Lloyd in terms of specifically basketball, uh, uh, basketball offensively, but just basketball in general, I, I literally think he's a basketball genius in terms of his solutions to everything all the time. Um, but in terms of their personalities, I mean, obviously um, Tommy's a pretty laid back guy. He, he's, He's uh he's he's kind of a, a big a big welcoming type of type of guy, big, big smile, everything like that. Um Sean is actually the same similar way, but he can come off as a little bit more edgy, a little bit more uh um hard nosed. But once you know him as, as people, they're both they're both really similar people. You don't get into this game if you don't first love the basketball, but you also gotta love the kids. And I think both of them really, really do have a passion for teaching the game a passion for having huge impacts on kids' lives. And, uh, you know, maybe Sean is a little bit more um, emphasis on defense and maybe Tommy's a little bit more emphasis on offense. But when it comes down to it, they both value both sides of the ball so much. And like I said, they're both, like, incredible with the details of the game. And uh, they both are – Tommy's already on his way to having a heck of a, you know, college coaching career. And, uh, you know, Sean's obviously had amazing success already as well. Yeah, there's a handful of people in the college basketball world who have your vantage point or have uh, the experience of playing for Sean and then also coaching along with him, but also coaching alongside Tommy Lloyd. It's pretty interesting uh, what what vantage point you're able to bring to the table there, Ryan. So we're going to get you out of here now on a few quick hitters, okay? In the ACC, in the ACC, what was the toughest crowd that you had to – uh, play against what was the toughest building the one with the most juice where you're like all right i'm ready to go because of how angry loud obnoxious they are who in the acc was that underrated pick virginia virginia cavaliers that place they got a band that plays in the stinking thing they used they used to have justin anderson and uh joe harris just absolutely swarming uh kill mitchell i mean that was tough um Virginia was a really, really hard place to play. And then secondly, in ACC, I'd probably put in just terms of sheer loudness, uh, I would go North Carolina and Syracuse. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, what about the worst crowd? I mean, it's dead. You're, you might even be bored to take the court. You're, there's zero juice at all. In the ACC? In the ACC. Or if there's no one in the ACC, anyone really. I'd go, uh, I'd go Oregon State or or – or Stanford out West, and in the ACC, I'd go uh, Wake Forest. 
Wake Forest. Interesting. So that's fine. I think we've hit on all four schools uh, during this podcast on Tobacco Road for some reason. We had we we were talking about Carolina Duke and also NC State when you talked about CJ Leslie and then yep. a little a little ricochet for Wake. I, maybe I throw most tough place NC State. I forgot about them. That's the only place I got a tech, and they let me have it. Maybe I'll throw them. They're in my top three. They're in my top three. Uh, edited that out. Top three, NC State. Yeah. No, the, the ACC has a lot of great venues for, for yep. sure. Yeah, um, a- hey, I had to ask you about this. All right. I don't know if you were still on BC at this point, but the name Dennis Clifford, does that ring a bell? That's my guy. Do you, yeah. know where I'm, do you know where I'm heading with this question? Probably about going to eat. Cliff, what's your, what are you going to take away as your best memory from playing basketball at Boston College? Probably just, like, going out to eat. That's exactly what I'm doing. I'm sorry, man. So, I mean, I'm sure he was a great guy. And, look, he's a college player. I feel bad piling on him. And he's emotional in the moment after losing that ACC tournament. But yeah. have you guys talked about that at all? Is he aware of now he's kind of like a meme almost? Yeah, yeah, he knows that people have been giving him uh, jokes about it for so long now. Um, but if you know Cliff, uh, he really did like going to eat. <laughs> like he really did enjoy just like the camaraderie of just eating with the guys. Like he's the ultimate team guy. Like he was, he was a Boston guy. He was, he was, you know, he was a Boston guy through and through. So just being able to uh, kind of be around the guys it was his favorite time going to eat was was his favorite time he just uh he just kind of said it in a way that was really funny and uh kind of took light on some of the you know not so much winning that we 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 endured yeah i'll tell you what man at the very least people need to appreciate the passion that he had after uh, after a tough loss i mean your season's over the finality of it all hits you yeah i mean and that was the end of his career you know at boston college so um, and again, he's a guy that he, he, he loves the city of Boston. It meant a lot for him to play at Boston college. And, uh, for all of us, you know, um, I cried when I left Boston college to transfer to Arizona and I'm not even a Boston guy. I, I cried when, you know, my season at Arizona was over and I was like done with college. Like it's, it's so hard to express to people how hard it is to get to that level, how much you put into it. And especially when it has an extra meaning for you, like Dennis, in terms of where you're from or in terms of kind of Arizona for me, how, how heralded I thought the program was, how much I looked up to coach Miller and all the players that had come before me uh, for it to kind of be over was always a, a thing that kind of like, it kind of hits you and it's, you, you know, you, you can never get it back. That's true. Hey, we're going to bookend this interview. Like I had said, with bring them up on stage, anyone that you can refer to us that you think would enjoy chatting with us uh, and sharing some stories. Uh, yeah, let me think about it. I'm going with, uh, you know, I'm going to go with, it might not be as high, highly, um, highly energetic person as me, but I'm going to go with the, the, the new GA over at Arizona who's taking my place. He's my guy. Um, he is an up and coming star in this business. He, I think he has everything that it takes in terms of being in the next wave of coaches. I got two guys uh that are GAs that I think would be awesome interviews for different reasons. One, Austin Torres, my guy from Arizona. I love him. He's uh he he's up and coming and I think he he would provide a lot of uh insight and just on um being a Tucson guy and how 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 excited he is to be a part of it from there. And then also my guy Ruben Williams. He's been coaching um from Long Beach Poly a lot of our guys over the years. Just recently got the gig over at Arkansas. And he, they obviously have a really good team this year. A lot of new guys, but they, they got a lot of, a lot of talent over there for the Razorbacks. So, and he's, he's been around the game for a long time. So, and I think they're both going to be, you know, really, really move up the ranks quick here in this college basketball game. So um, if you can get a hold of either of those guys, I think they'd provide some good insight, both just from being kind of a hometown hometown kid now working with Arizona and then uh, Ruben kind of being a Long Beach kid finding his way and, you know, kind of making it into the college ranks now uh, out there in Arkansas with the, with the heck of a team. So 
two of my dogs. And uh, I'm definitely all of a sudden watching uh, Arkansas play this year. And uh, obviously, I'll watch the Cats play too. Ryan Anderson, man, thank you so much for the references. This is what I tell every guest, though. And this was a mistake on your behalf. You gave me your number. Don't worry. I'm not going to be blowing you up with 16 straight bubbles, but I may have to ask you, uh, if if possible, to to put me in touch with those guys so we can get them on. And yep. obviously, I'll, I'll have to play that audio for them, okay? Yep. Sounds good, man. I, I'll definitely help you guys out. I had a lot of fun with you guys. Brought back a lot of good memories, man. It's a, a lot... You don't think about a lot of this stuff until you kind of get asked about it or, or you kind of slow down for a minute and, and kind of think about it. So um, it was a lot of fun for me, too. Always wishing you the best of luck, Ryan. Have a great time. Uh, we will be watching you. OK, thanks so much for jumping on. Let's go. X. All right. We want to thank Ryan for jumping on the program. What a great interview that was. He is so much fun. He's very enthusiastic, energetic. He's funny. David, David Miller, who referred him, nailed every single adjective, I think, uh, when describing Ryan and what we were expecting uh, for this interview. So it was so much fun listening to him about some of the players that that influenced him. It was, I mean, the, the Carolina story was so in depth and in, so in detail, I was hooked the entire time. Uh, and then of course the call from Sean Miller duty legitimately calls. And we had to take about a 20 minute break for those that, that obviously weren't able to hear it. Uh, but I was still waiting on him because I wanted to hear what more he had to say. So we appreciate coach Miller for, for letting us, have Ryan on the program, but like I said, it was a pretty wacky interview and a lot of fun and very interesting. Always great to get the perspective from a player that not only played at one school, but also two schools and has now coached, even though he's a very young coach, has coached under two individuals and Tommy Lloyd and Sean Miller. And of course, I think the best part of the interview was how Kevin Pitsnoggle was his guy growing up. I don't know if anyone could have foreseen that. So Ryan Anderson, thank you so much for jumping onto the program. We really do appreciate your time. But before we get on out of here, we're going to do a little This Week in Feet. Twit time, that's correct. We haven't done this segment in a little bit, but it is This Week in Feet. I was scouring some articles in the archives on ESPN.com. Of course, not much happens during the summertime, except for just transfer news, etc. But the NBA draft is approaching, and we're going to try and get some draft guys on to the podcast to discuss you know, where players are going to be picked, who they think are high-level players, who they think are maybe high-value high players that you can get in the second round. But it is, of course, approaching NBA draft time. And so this week in feed, I found an article from 2012 uh, written by Doug Gottlieb, and it was basically – uh, don't take this player and instead take this player. Let's look at the list he has. First, he says, don't take Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Instead, take Jeremy Lamb. Not a bad take, to be honest with you. Of course, MKG went in the lottery. I think he was the second overall pick to the Bobcats. Uh, and then Jeremy Lamb, of course, was drafted. But Jeremy Lamb's still in the league. Last I checked, he was on the Sacramento Kings. Kid Gilchrist, no longer in the league. Um, and I think... That's a fair take there from Gottlieb, and I think he nailed it. Instead, take Jeremy Lamb. Now, of course, Jeremy Lamb's not knocking any socks off, but for how high MKG was picked, uh, some would say that was a bit disappointing. So Gottlieb, not bad there. Let's move on to the next one. He says, don't take Thomas Robinson. Instead, take Royce White. I think he could have labeled them both under don't take. Uh, of course, Thomas Robinson was drafted to the Kings. I forget who Royce White was drafted to, but uh, that's a name that have a blast from the past uh, and both players currently out of the league. Next, he says, do not take Kendall Marshall. Instead, take Scott Machado. I got to be honest with you. I don't know who the hell Scott Machado is, and that's not a slight on Scott Machado. Uh, I just had no clue who, who he was. Uh, Kendall Marshall, of course, I remember, and he had some run with the Lakers, had some run with with Phoenix. So I think I would have to say Doug here is incorrect. Kendall Marshall uh, panned out a little better in the NBA. Next, he says, and this is somehow the second John Henson reference. He says, don't take John Henson. Instead, take Myers Leonard. I would actually hazard to say that both of these players had pretty similar NBA careers. John Henson 
was anchoring that front line for the Milwaukee Bucks, of course, before Giannis came. They may have actually spent some time together, but that was the pre-Giannis great Milwaukee Bucks, and John Henson was a pretty solid contributor. Same thing with Myers Leonard for the Blazers. Uh, Of course, Myers Leonard no longer in the league for, well, let's just say it, saying anti-Semitic comments. Um, But John Henson and Myers Leonard actually had pretty comparable careers. Last but not least, and this is where Doug's just flat out wrong, said don't take Will Barton. Instead, take John Jenkins. Incorrect. Will Barton's still playing a pretty solid role for a contending team in the Denver Nuggets. Now, he had a few struggles in the postseason, a bit of inconsistency, but Will Barton, I think, is the longest tenured Nugget. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. Someone tweet at me. Feel free to do that. But Will Barton's had a really solid NBA career and has panned out better than John Jenkins. So, This week in feet, just taking a trip down memory lane. I didn't mean to put my old takes exposed hat on there for you, Doug, but there were some interesting names, uh, some interesting takes there from Gottlieb. And all in all, I say he, he averaged out. We're going to get on out of here though. Uh, Thank you so much again for listening, but most importantly, thank you again to Ryan Anderson for jumping onto the program. We had a lot of fun. We'll catch you next time here on theater and college hoops. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.